Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Television Archive, the show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is Cosmos, Cosmos Space-Time Odyssey, and Cosmos Possible Worlds. A space-time odyssey episode six titled deeper 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 still uh yet another very very good episode about uh a bunch of small shit uh freaking cells atoms molecules neutrinos freaking tardigrades all that, like, microscopic, like, really, really small, imperceptible stuff. Uh, and it's very well handled and very well explored, and I really, really like all of it. So, we start off with a pretty simple lead-in. Tyson talks about, uh, how water molecules react to temperature, how in their liquid form, uh, they sort of slide off of each other, but they're just still sticky enough to be... Mm, relatively tightly packed. Uh, but then things heat up, uh, the molecules get more excited, they, uh, move around faster, move around more, uh, they get less sticky, they drift further and further apart, and that is then evaporated into its gaseous state, and then it cools down, uh, they start to move back together, and then condensation. Simple lead-in to a really spectacular sequence uh, where Neil deGrasse Tyson takes us inside the universe of a dewdrop. And there's all this really cool and really amazing and really breathtaking stuff. Uh, We see these really cool creatures. Uh, We go into the anatomy of a plant, go into plant cells, uh, see how photosynthesis occurs and all of that. All those really fascinating Uh, And really, really spectacular processes. I I do like that uh, Tyson frames this as a, let's try and steal the trade secrets of the plants. And it's like framed as an assembly line. Like it's almost, you frame like this view of photosynthesis as corporate espionage almost. Which is just like, that's very clever. I like that. Uh, But we see all this cool stuff in this dewdrop. And it's breathtaking and it's gorgeous. But I care about none of it because tardigrades! There are freaking 
tardigrades in this dude drop. And I love them. Tardigrades are so cool. I love tardigrades so much. They are the best. Like, I, I was watching the episode. I was taking my notes. I was eating some banana bread. And then the tardigrades show up. I throw my notebook on the ground. I spit out my banana bread. And I'm glued to the screen. Because I just... I want to watch these tardigrades. Make an entire... Okay, Cosmo Season 4. It's only about tardigrades now. (laughs) Make it. Make it, you cowards. (laughs) I want it. I want it. So anyway, universe inside a dewdrop, blah, 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 blah. And then we go into this really nice little anecdote. Because a lot of the first, like, I'd say third of this episode deals with plants. Uh, We go into orchids, and then we have this interesting anecdote where Darwin looked at the, I think it's called the Comet Orchid, I could be wrong about that, uh, in Madagascar. That had, like, this long stem leading down to the pollen. Like, this very, very long tube that led down to its pollen. And Darwin was like, okay, well, because evolution, there has to be a an insect out there, a flying insect, with, like, an extremely long-ass tongue somewhere in Madagascar. It hadn't been recorded, no one knew that was a thing, uh, but Darwin was like, there has to be that. And then... 50 years later, oh, look, that exact thing exists. A freaking hawk moth with, like, this giant-ass tongue that, like, reaches down into this thing and extracts the pollen from, like, the really far down uh, stem and all that. And it's, that that's a nice, fun little anecdote. I like that they put that in. Uh, Tyson then goes into what occurs when you smell uh, the molecules that sort of have a very specific reaction to very, very specific uh, receptors that send very specific signals to your brain, how that closely relates to memory and emotion and all that. And that's why you feel a certain way when you smell lilacs is the example that Tyson uses. Uh, What he doesn't say, and what I read between the lines, this is also what causes... The opposite reaction when you smell literal feces. That's where my mind went. Because I'm an adult. (laughs) I'm an adult man. I'm a mature adult man. (laughs) That doesn't think in terms of a five-year-old. Clearly. (laughs) Uh, But we have this big sequence of what happens when you smell. And then, once again, we kind of take this little detour... And we talk about the fantastic, fantastic era of ancient Greece, where free inquiry free inquiry was accepted, and we sort of uh, laid down the foundation of modern science. And so we go into the first time that someone in Greece said, "Hey, I don't think these." Uh, natural weather events, these storms or whatever, are a result of us angering the gods. I think they're natural processes. 
uh, that have actual laws that we can parse out. Uh, someone else being like, hey, we're all made up of uh, all these various atoms and all of that uh, that just make up everything. Uh, and just sort of these building blocks of what would become modern science. We go through the Greek world uh, just like we did in the Sagan version. Although I think the Sagan version was more comprehensive in this field. Uh, and then we get into just how freaking perfect carbon is. And how ideal it is for life. Why carbon is like the crucial element to form life. Uh, how easily it can bond to all different ty- types of elements. Uh, a bunch of different at once. Uh and how it can form all of these complex patterns, all of these complex molecules that can create this variety and diversity of life that we have on Earth and, by extension, should have throughout the cosmos. So we get into all of that, and then we get into this one segment where Neil deGrasse Tyson hits upon the illusion of touch. Because in reality, like, you feel like you touch stuff. Like, you feel like touch is a sensation. But actually, in reality, nothing you touch, you ever touch, like, firsthand. What really happens when you touch something is there's just, like, the atoms in your body and the atoms in whatever the hell you're touching... They get close, but they never merge because, like, electron fields are just, like, repelling each other away. Repelling each other, repelling each other, repelling each other. So you get close to fully touching the other objects, atoms, the other objects, molecules, but never quite get there. Which is a fascinating contradiction because, like, I touch this table here. I feel the table, or at least I get the sensation of feeling the table. But, like, nothing of me is actually physically touching anything of the table. It's this weird... It's this weird paradox. Now, I will say... (laughs) This... The lead-in to this tidbit, the scene in which this tidbit is shown, has not aged well (laughs) at all all. I forgot this happened and watching it in 2021 was very, very awkward. There's literally a moment where uh, this kid gives a little girl lilacs and there's like this nice, loving gaze. Uh, This dude touches her. Dad comes out looking disapprovingly and then Neil deGrasse Tyson's voice comes in and says, Calm down, Dad. He didn't actually touch her. Which, mm, that reads differently in the Me Too era. (laughs) That reads much, much differently in the Me Too era. Especially when you consider that Neil deGrasse Tyson had sexual misconduct allegations against him a few years ago. I don't think anything came of those. They weren't proven one way or the other. But it's still not a good look. <laughs> Either way, it doesn't really matter. This scene feels creepy. 
Yay! <laughs> it's just... Oh, I'm sure this worked fine in 2014 when this came out, but, like, man... Man, is it... Mm, is it weird now? <laughs> is it weird in 2021? Like, oof. 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 Uh, yeah, that did not... Did not age well. In any way. Uh, but still an interesting tidbit of information. The paradox of touch... Uh, let me get into the structure of the nucleus. Uh, how the nucleus sort of behaves. What its, uh, what its makeup is. Like, you have protons in there that want to repel each other. Want to repel each other. Uh, the amount of protons you have there determine, uh, what element it is. Protons equal electrons, blah, 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 blah. But the protons don't want to stay together. They don't want to be... A part of the same whole. So you got neutrons there. Using their nuclear force. To make sure the protons. Don't break apart. Can't pull apart. And so you have a stable element. And. You have these this amount of protons and neutrons. To. Sort of. Uh, make sure. That the amount of protons. That makes up that element doesn't leave, doesn't go away. And you can do this up until a certain point before the element becomes unstable. At a certain point, you have so many neutrons in there that nuclear energy kind of not behave so good. Not behave so good. Uh, and then we go from this to what happens in the sun. Uh, how the sun is just, like, constantly churning in this dance between heat and gravity that just sort of binds it together, and it's just this giant furnace that's, like, causing all these different atoms to fuse together, causing all these different nucleuses of different elements to fused together, and so we get hydrogen into helium. In hotter stars, we create, like, carbon from helium. Uh, in larger still stars, you get, like, more complex elements, blah, 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 blah. And so we see, like, what happens in the sun, how it works as that nuclear fusion uh, machine sort of works at that little furnace creating all these different elements. And then we get into supernovas. We get into supernovas and like the giant insane explosions they give off. The insane light show they give off. And the addition that Tyson makes into this that Sagan didn't have is what we know about neutrinos. Uh, and we talk about how like just insanely, insanely small these neutrinos are, how imperceptible they are. Uh, we see these gigantic detection facilities that exist only to show, like, here's what neutrinos look like when they collide against other matter. Like, you see this little light show when neutrinos arrive from a supernova. And we talk about how it is at all possible that neutrinos arrive at Earth from a supernova before the light does. And apparently, like, 
essentially, there's almost like an explosion before the explosion, weirdly. Like, the neutrinos sort of are the first to go. Like, when a star is about to explode, it gives off this shockwave of neutrinos that is going near the speed of light. But the actual energy that creates the actual explosion explosion, that's going out from the core at like one ten thousandth, I think, of the speed of light. And so it's happening slower and slower and slower and slower and slower. And then eventually it reaches the surface and that's when the traditional explosion happens. Uh, And that goes at the speed of light once that happens. Like, once the star's exploded, it just goes outward. But the neutrinos had a significant head start, which is why the neutrinos can arrive from a supernova explosion before the actual light from an explosion. Fascinating. Fascinating stuff. Uh, We talk about how uh, neutrinos were discovered... Uh, the contradiction of the conservation of energy and all that, like, uh, spontaneous poof of an electron, spontaneous, like, ejection of an electron from an element, but the energy from electron, energy from nucleus doesn't total the full nucleus, which means there has to be some, like, imperceptible particle, and then we figure that out, and all of that. And then... We end in what I think might be a bit of a shaky position. Because we start to go back into Age of Universe. And we start to go back into, this is how far we can see out. Because the light from the Big Bang hasn't reached us yet. Uh, So this is the end of the observable universe. And here's the cosmic calendar. Here's how old... The Earth is, and the Sun, and the galaxies, and all that. It's just like, this is, you're repeating yourself. You're repeating yourself. Like, we've we've done this before. We've done this dance before. We don't need to sit through it again. We don't need to go through Age of the Universe again. We don't need to go through Cosmic Calendar again. So that's a bit where it's just like, you're repeating yourself for the sake of repeating yourself at this point. Uh, man, this this show, it's almost as if I wrote it. (laughs) It's almost as if I, the king of repeating myself, (laughs) wrote this show. (laughs) Uh, yeah. But, I mean, overall, this is a very good episode. Overall, this is a very good episode. I really, really like it. Uh, it is definitely another solid installment in cosmos uh if you like this favorite podcast anchor.fm slash tv archives so you can be here every single monday through friday as we go through every single episode of this and other shows and you can find it on pretty much whatever podcatcher app you prefer feel free to call in as well it's simple as just push my button on the anchor app i'll play those on the show from time to time if it feels inclined to send those in follow me on twitter instagram and letterboxd tomtom4468 and support the show patreon.com slash thomas clark pledge just a dollar a month i appreciate everything i get through there if you become a patron, you can also get access to uh, the Television Archive Supplemental, which I'll be putting up there once every month. Or, if that doesn't work for you, you can also support the show directly by Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Uh, tomorrow, we'll be discussing Cosmos Space Time Odyssey Episode 7. Talk to you then.